You're listening to the Christian Civics Podcast, exploring how the gospel empowers us to think, speak, and act differently in the public square. I'm your host, Rick Barry, the co-founder and executive director of the Center for Christian Civics, and I have been just sick as a dog this week, so you can probably hear it in my voice. I'm sorry about that. We might have to do a lot more uh, obvious cutting to cut around me coughing or just needing to take a break to give my throat a rest. Uh, I'm sorry about that in advance. I will try to keep it to a minimum. Uh, This week's episode is another interview episode, and it's another interview with someone who doesn't work directly in politics. Now, uh, the reason we do a lot of interviews like these on the podcast is because we really believe that there are a lot of good lessons we can learn about what it means to model the gospel in our public lives by looking at how people model the gospel in other arenas. This week, we're welcoming onto the podcast Chelsea Geyer. Chelsea is the executive director of DC 127. DC 127 is a movement of churches right here in Washington, D.C. that are working together to end the foster care wait list. Uh, Right now, there are hundreds of children in Washington, D.C. waiting to be placed in foster homes. There aren't enough foster homes to keep up with the demand. So what DC 127 does is works with churches to identify potential foster homes and then also build communities of support because fostering is really hard, really disruptive work for a family to do. Uh, And it's hard to do alone. So they work to not just raise up foster families, but raise up uh, teams of people to provide more support, more help to foster families and to provide kind of support and coaching for families that have had to put their children into foster care so that um, they can create more stable environments to get those children out of foster care sooner rather than later. So it's working, uh, DC-127 works to raise up foster families and reduce the need for foster families. So why did we think Chelsea would be a good guest for this podcast? She's not going to be talking much about policy or politics, but she is going to be talking about how she's seen people deal with God-given responsibilities that are difficult to make room for or that are disruptive to the way they thought their lives would go. We tend to have this idea that even though God's placed us in a participatory democracy, our goal should really be to act like we're living in a monarchy. We want to be hands-off. We want our communities and our governments to just work and do things without us having to do too much to guide them along the way. So one of the biggest hurdles we face when we're trying to figure out what the gospel means for how we deal with this really weird responsibility of self-governance is that a lot of the times we don't want the responsibility of self-governance. A lot of the times we feel like we just don't have the time or the mental energy or the emotional energy to really do anything with it. And so that's where I think hearing about how individuals or families or entire church communities have worked together to make room for other big God-given responsibilities might be helpful or encouraging for us. And personally, I know that I really needed this during this season, this season of my life, and 
this season of the year. This past year has been just really busy for me and for my family. Uh, But when you add in the fact that during these last couple months of the year, I'm trying to close out all of my responsibilities at my other jobs so that I can give more time and more energy to Christian civics next year. And that's all happening kind of at the same time that we're dealing with all of the travel and hosting and family events and church events that always come up between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Suddenly, a conversation like this, a conversation about making room for important things that seems important possible becomes really timely. So we're going to dive right into it. Uh, The way these interview episodes typically work is we dive right into the interview. We hear about 15 or 20 minutes of it. Then we come back together and I pull out a few ideas from it that can be informative for us as we try to be uh, citizens that actually demonstrate the gospel in visible ways through the way we approach our citizenship. So we're going to dive right into the interview with Chelsea, right as she starts uh, talking about a big mindset shift that people typically need to undergo when they start working with DC 127 to learn either how to be foster parents or how to support foster parents. And then from there, the conversation is going to go down a few other directions. I think a lot of it is really valuable. I really had a great time uh, meeting Chelsea and having this conversation with her. And I think there's going to be a lot for us to pull out and appreciate at the end of it. So let's jump right into it now. And I'll be back after the interview. So I think sometimes in service, we serve for an output and an outcome. We serve in order to see wins, in order to see gains. And um, that's great, but that's bringing a very linear business profit mindset to the service of people. And people are not linear beings. And so I think one of the hardest and most exhausting parts is that a lot of times when you're working with these populations, there are a lot of steps back, a couple steps forward and then a couple steps back. And that can be really tiring to feel like you're investing in something that's not moving forward the way you would like it to. And that's when we talk a lot as a movement and as a network about um, not serving to fix, not serving to get to point B, but serving just to love the people who God has asked you to love. And that the outcome that we're looking for is that Christ's love is shown. And that's what we rest on. And if you're not doing this out of God's strength, you're also not going to last very long. <laughs> uh, just because by the nature of the work you're doing, it has to be hard to ever f- feel like you're making progress because you're only ever going to see the people who are in crisis. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that um, I have had seasons of my life where um, there's no other way to say it, but I wasn't, I wasn't relying on God. I was like, I can do this on my own. And those are the seasons I burned out just completely. And so um, it feels intangible to say, but you've got to find practical ways to literally not rely on the energy that you have. And that's very counter culture, especially in DC of I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And it's very counterculture of even just, I feel like the way I'm wired, I'm a very prideful person. And so I want to be able to do it. Um, but if you're not, if you're not trusting in a bigger plan, because you, you can't solve people's problems. Like we've got homeless moms with multiple children who don't have a job and who have, have experienced serious trauma. Like we are not going to be able to solve that. Um, 
And you've just you've just got to let that savior mentality completely go. You've said a few times that people generally you try to get them engaged with fostering or supporting foster families in response to specific calls from God that they're discerning. Uh, How do you um, have you seen people observe what's happening through DC 127, not feel called to it and then end up feeling or wrestling with guilt or feelings of inadequacy because they see people serving in this way and start wondering, shouldn't everyone be serving in this way? Yes. So I'm going to, I'll reframe that a little bit because yes, everyone should be serving in some way. Right. Um, it's not a matter of if God has called you to care for vulnerable people, it's where God has called you to care for vulnerable people. And so a lot of times, honestly, the people who are feeling guilty are people who aren't serving or have an outlet for this in another way of their life. And to them, I would say, first of all, just, this is going to sound super harsh, but get past your guilt. That's very you centered. That's very centered about how you're feeling about a situation. Um, and moving past that to say, okay, God, where would you have me invest in the lives of my neighbors and in my city? Um, And so we have, I mean, we have ways for people to get involved that range from babysitting, that range from walking with a parent, that range that don't involve bringing children into your home, because that is a very specific thing. Um, We also have ways to bring children into your home for much shorter timelines than than fostering requires. And so we kind of have the gamut um, of ways for people to get involved or to donate or to pray for us. Um, I understand that we're in a city where some people's jobs literally don't let them have much of a life outside of that. And so I think it's, I think it's just discerning where God has put you, not necessarily if God has put Mm -hmm. you somewhere. As you've seen people get involved with DC 127, what are some of the most common lessons people end up learning either through fostering or through supporting foster families? Yeah. Yeah. So through fostering, supporting our foster families or supporting our families who are in crisis, um, I will say all of the lessons because I've also learned them as well. It's, it's really hard not to get discouraged when you feel like something's going a step back or when you feel like you've put in a lot of effort um, and it's not, it's not moving forward. And that's something that I've had to fight against on a constant basis. Um, It's yeah, it's, it's just hard. It's just hard when you love somebody and when you're investing in them and when you want the best for them, whether that's a parent or a child or a foster family, and then for it not to go the way that you had in your mind. And that's just when you've got to take a step back and surrender that. And maybe stepping back a little bit, getting a little bit more of a bigger picture. What has your experience with foster care and then with DC 127 in particular uh, taught you about discipleship more generally? Yeah. um, Discipleship more generally. That's a great question. I, first of all, it's really cool because I get to watch people trusting God and seeing God show up in ways that they didn't imagine. I mean, we've seen God provide things um, that that have just completely blown me away. Uh, and so that's that's really cool because this this work requires you to trust God in a really new way. Um, I think I say sometimes it's a lot easier to trust God with my life because I've got a massive safety net in my family and in my friends but to trust God with a parent who I really care about or with a young woman who's in foster care, who I really care about to trust God with their lives and that God has a plan for their lives. Um, when it looks like exactly the opposite, um, that's a, that's a harder step. That's a lot harder step. Uh, and so we we see that, um, we see people who think that 
they're only going to be able to offer this certain amount. And then they get into it and they realize that they can give so much more because Christ is enabling them to give so much more. And, and so to just see this, this increase of reliance on God for the benefit of people around us. So the other, the other thing that we've seen around discipleship um, is a less self-centering of our schedules and of our worlds. And so one of the things that we talk about at DC 127 a lot is if we want to change the rhythms and the patterns of our city, so the rhythms and patterns of cyclical poverty and racial injustice and homelessness and some of the issues that we all deeply care about, if we want to see those patterns shift, then the way that we live our lives is going to have to shift. If we want to change those patterns, then we are going to have to change the rhythms and patterns of how we operate as um, so I'll speak for myself. I'm a tr- I moved to DC to work on a job that focused elsewhere in the world. Um, and I think that that's a pretty common story I would imagine for a lot of your listeners. Uh, and if we want to change the way the, the way DC operates for the poor and for the vulnerable, we're going to have to change the rhythms and patterns of our own lives. And so we see people, um, connecting with people they would have otherwise never met. We see people, uh, finding time in their schedule that they previously thought didn't exist, right? We see people really just inviting people into their homes and making this idea of family and this idea of community so much wider than it would be. That sounds uncomfortable. Oh, it sounds yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's probably a pretty big sacrifice for a lot of people. It feels that way when you're not, when it's just person X, right? When it's just this unknown entity that you're walking with. But when you build a relationship with someone and when you care about them and when you invest in their life, it's really, it just, I mean, now they're just your brother or your sister or this child that you love and it doesn't feel as much of a sacrifice, right? So as a single person without kids, I look at parents and I'm like, oh my gosh, that looks horrible, right? Because you have to wake up in the middle of the night and that looks really hard. But when it's the, your child and you love them, suddenly it's, it's not a sacrifice. It's, what, it's just living life and who you love. I'm reminded a little bit of... Uh- Abraham working the fields for seven years, and it seems a, as a sh- much shorter time because of his love for the one for whom he's yeah, yeah. working the fields. How did you see that modeled in your own family, and what was it like? Our, our house was always open to whoever, even even after kind of everyone was a part of our family. We had people coming in and out of our home all the time, and my friends knew that it was always always a place where they were welcome. And it's still, that's still the case to this day. And so I saw my parents um, just really have such a generous spirit of hospitality and really see the home as something that they could give to other people and see their space as something that they could give to others who needed it. And I mean, even now I've had, I've had friends reach out to me who are going to be in Colorado for something and stay at my parents' house. And they're not even like close friends, um, but people who've just needed a spot. My parents' house is always open. Um, literally, I don't agree with their locking practices. So hopefully <laughs> a lot of people in Colorado aren't listening to this podcast, but yeah, what's their uh, address? Yeah. Um, uh, just look for the house that currently has a lot of, lot of small dogs right now. But, um, my parents, my, my parents modeled extreme generosity and, um, that, that goes across political lines that goes across theological lines. Like that's, that was them showing the love of Christ to anybody who needed it. Um, we talk a lot about theology of incarnation, theology of um, going into the culture God has placed you in. Uh, one of the things that's hard to keep in your hand at the same time as theology of incarnation is uh, the idea that we're not just called 
to be part of a culture, we're also called to be prophets against it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really strikes me about the way you're talking about your family growing up and breaking and changing the rhythm of your lives to either foster or support foster families is that it is simultaneously entering a culture very deeply, entering the town, the community around you very deeply, Mm -hmm. but also being willing to break with its norms for the sake of caring for other people or taking on additional responsibility. Um, yeah, it sounds like growing up, you had modeled for you a normal in your household that was probably not the same normal as the people living in the home on either side of you. I think it's I think we. We take a mindset to our homes and I, I do this, too. And so I don't I say this because I know the feeling um, of it's our quiet, sacred retreat space. Right. And so there. In, in our trainings, we talk about a couple different ways that people approach their home and their space. Um, and one of the biggest ones is that this is my space. This is my space to be um, away from the craziness of the city. This is uh, this is just a very safe space for us. Uh, and if God is asking you to give that up, that's really hard because it's good to have a place of retreat. It's good to have a place where you can feel comfortable and at peace. Um, but God may be asking you to give up your home as that space. And that's really hard to think about. Um, and something that can only be done through the strength of Christ, in my opinion, um, because somebody else doesn't have that space. Somebody else doesn't have a place to go to for retreat and you do, and you can share that. You can share that with them. I'm reminded very much through this thread of conversation that, Our faith originates from a time and in a community where people had big families and one room homes. Yeah. Yeah. And their families still were. And they shared what they had. Right. I mean, that was the church of Acts. You saw your brother or sister who didn't have something and you shared what you had. You bring up Acts and the community of faith held nothing for themselves, kept everything in common, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I can imagine some people hear this conversation we're having and would have an impulse that this is fine to do for Christian children and families in crisis, but not outside of the community of faith or it's might say it's too much of a burden to place on them. Mm-hmm. How would you reply to that? But wasn't it Jesus who said that the doctor doesn't come for the healthy, but comes for the sick. Right. Yeah. And, um, I don't remember Jesus putting stipulations on who we serve that they have to already share our faith. Um, so I, I feel pretty strongly our organization, we serve whoever needs to be served and whoever gives us a call. Um, and that's, that's how we show Christ's love to our neighbors. I think it was also Emperor Julian in the Roman empire who was trying to revive Roman paganism. And he was getting very frustrated that they couldn't get Roman paganism to catch on because as he put it, these Christians aren't just caring for their own poor, but our poor as well. Yeah. Their love was their love, their generosity, their care for the vulnerable around them, no matter who the vulnerable were. was like the greatest PR they could do for their King Jesus. Absolutely. I mean, if God asks you to care for and love somebody, it's not your job to give them a questionnaire of what they believe. Uh, it's your job to love them despite if you disagree, when you disagree. Um, yeah, that's, that's just, 
God's love knows no bound in my life. So how dare I put it bounds on other people's lives? What keeps people from growing resentful about that time and that energy spent? Uh, well, you get to, we have the privilege of opting into that and of moving in and out of social services, that system. Our families don't have that privilege. And so, um, first, whenever I feel disgruntled, I remember I'm only doing maybe 10% of what this parent is facing. Um, I'm only seeing 10% of the lines that they have to go through and the paperwork that they need to figure out. Uh, I am, I'm only doing part of it. And so you kind of have to check yourself. I got to choose into this and this parent doesn't get to choose into that. Um, the other thing is that that motivates you to care about policy a little bit more. I know that's important to your listeners, but when you see the policy in action and how it's, how it can harm or help families, you care a little bit more and you, you pay attention to what you're voting on because now, you know, people for whom it has a tangible effect on their life. Like how is getting involved with DC 127 changed either your relationship with other people in your church or change some of your other volunteers relationships and conversations about yeah. policy. I mean, it got me here first of all, right? Like I knew somebody who knew you and um, I think also people, people not have a face to put to the statistics and to the things that they read about. And so you can't, you can't make a scarecrow argument. You can't de- demonize, um, you know, the children and the families that this affects uh, and when you know somebody and the policy affects them, you care a lot more about the policy. And I think that there's just an increase in compassion and then there's an increase in nuance in conversation and an increase to engage in conversation, no matter what background you're coming from, because now it's about people and it's not about, um, it's not about strangers. And one of the topics we bring up in our classes a lot is we talk about how people of the same faith can end up on different sides of a political argument or um, end up supporting different policies. I think we give three or four different uh, perfectly valid causes for that. And one of them is uh, that God has burdened their hearts differently or given them different experiences. We talk a lot in the church about, oh, this person has a heart for orphans or, oh, this person really has like Mm -hmm. a heart for the jobless or this person. Like we use the phrase heart for uh, to talk about things people care about. But then when it comes to discussions about policy or discussions about government, people are no longer allowed to have a heart for anything that I don't have a heart for. One of the things I like most about what I'm hearing about DC 127 is it's really giving people practical ways to demonstrate to their own faith community the way God burdening your heart for something that he's not burdening your neighbor's heart for um, a can work itself out practically, but b actually be a good thing for the health of the church. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, and this is, this is where burnout happens because people think that they're supposed to do everything, figure out where God has put you and go deep and love there. Um, But if, if everyone does that, then we'll fill all the corners and, I think people burn out when they think that I have to have a hand in every single issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're an organization that's dedicated to helping Christians navigate the public square and their political responsibilities. Um, what is the typical political profile of a Christian who gets involved with DC 127? Yeah, we, we have people on both sides of the aisle. I don't think I have a typical profile. I can think of, 
I can think of volunteers who voted very differently in the last election, but all come together to care for our kids and our families. And I, and I've heard people say that they get involved um, for political reasons that if you strip those away would actually probably contradict them (laughs) would would contradict each other. Um, So I'm not going to like sit in a room and, point out the differences between my volunteers because they don't need to know that, Uh, but I don't need to, I don't need to stir that up. Um, But what we really see happening is um, a lot of people, I think a lot of people get involved because they see different political beliefs in action, right? So I've had several people come who are pro-life and say, um, I want to help and support the parents long-term who have made parenting plans. Um, We have people who come and say, Um, I have a really big heart for the racial conversations our society is having and racial reconciliation that needs to happen. And um, 95% of kids in foster care in DC are African-American and about 90% of the kids we serve through foster care prevention are African-American as well. And so we see people um, who want a tangible outpouring of racial reconciliation in their life. Um, And then I see people who say, I don't agree with um, this specific policy on social services or reform. And from both sides, they think maybe the social services aren't enough, so they want to get involved. Or maybe they say that's not the government's job, so they want to get involved and step up um, to do that. And that's one of the reasons I love my job is that it's it's bipartisan across the board and I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Okay, that was our interview with Chelsea Geyer, Executive Director of DC 127. Like I said at the top of the podcast, I'm pretty sick, so I'm going to try to move through a few of my biggest takeaways from this interview pretty quickly, and then we can move on into prayer together. First, near the top of the interview, Chelsea mentioned how hard it is to see things you care about not go your way. Learning to lament with hope, learning to mourn without embracing despair, that's a big part of showing people the gospel. We should see and recognize the things in this world that are broken, and we should want to see them healed. And when things don't go the way we want them to, when things stay broken for longer than we want them to, we can recognize that that's bad, and we can be sad about it. But we also take solace in the fact, the the fact that healing is coming. I was sitting down with a group of people recently who don't share my faith. And we started talking about both my faith and the state of the world right now. And I mentioned that the Christian faith assures us that the world is ultimately headed for healing and for restoration. That my faith says that that's guaranteed. And that seemed to confuse a few of the people I was talking to. It's something that we can take for granted because of our faith, but it's something that's very foreign to people who don't share it. And that brings me to the next big takeaway from my interview with Chelsea. It's okay to be weird. It's okay to stand out. It's okay to be confusing. It's okay to not conform to the patterns being laid out for you. When it comes to politics, Everyone has a group or a party or a tradition or some kind of model that they're drawn to that makes sense to us. And in the church, a lot of us who follow politics or who care about government, 
we say that our politics comes from our faith. Like we say, like, I'm a Republican because I'm a Christian, or I voted for Bernie because I'm a Christian, or whatever. But that's not totally the case. Our models for politics, our parties and the structures of our governments and our communities, they don't come from our faith. They come from our world, from our context. And that's not a bad thing. It's fine to have had a set of experiences that convince you that a particular approach to taxes is best, or it's fine to have been raised in a way that you developed a specific set of opinions about government-sponsored social services, or to have had a teacher who really changed your mind about whether we should have public schools or where the money for them should come from. Whatever you believe about what kinds of policies are best, chances are the majority of people who agree with you don't actually share the Christian faith, not in a deep, heart-changing, life-changing, historic sort of way. So our job as Christians is to figure out how to be weird among the people who agree with us. What's going to set us apart from the people who agree with us about policy, but not about Jesus? Chelsea grew up in a home that was in a town with plenty of parents, plenty of families, plenty of homeowners. So they figured out how their faith could make them weird about it. They opened their home. They made it a place of hospitality, a place of refuge uh, because of their faith in ways that set them apart from the other homes and the other families. Uh, They said that our faith means that we have a different normal. One of the questions we want to help you start working through in 2018 is what are the specific ways you can do that in your civic life? What are the specific ways your faith might be making you weird among people who share your politics? Last thing I want to call out from the interview with Chelsea is maybe the most important. She talked about letting the rhythm of your life be interrupted, about embracing a schedule and a set of priorities that are less self-centered than you want them to be. I'd go farther and say less self-centered than our culture tells us they're supposed to be. If we want to see changes in the world, in our communities or in our parties, we have to make those changes in our own hearts and minds and lives first. Jesus didn't teach his apostles to coerce other people into behaving the way he wanted. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower them to take every thought captive and to live as a different kind of community. And then that drew other people to them and convinced other people that they were right. And that lesson that we need to make uncomfortable changes to the way we think and the way we order our lives if we want our faith to really reshape the world around us is extremely important in the Advent season. The story of the Nativity, the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus' entire life It's the story of God living out the change he wants to see in his people. We look at Jesus' birth, the God of the universe making himself completely vulnerable, putting himself at the mercy of broken people. He's 
born in poverty to a marginalized couple in a backwater town of a powerful empire, and then rich, powerful men come to visit and give these extravagant gifts to this poor baby, and then they put their necks out on the line to protect him from government-sponsored violence. And it's really easy to overlook how weird this is, to just think, well, that baby was Jesus, so of course the rich people would bring him expensive gifts. But that weirdness, that's an important part of the story. God could have played out the story of Jesus' birth so many different ways, but he chose to start the incarnation this way. Human history is the story of people looking out for themselves, trying to consolidate power for themselves or amass security for their tribes or their families or their teams, building entire societies around that idea. But when God wrote himself into our story, all of those themes changed. People started making themselves weak and vulnerable for the sake of protecting and honoring and lifting up and serving the people that they're supposed to dismiss or the people they're supposed to ignore. The incarnation, the nativity, that was God doing the most dramatic, unself-centering of his schedule and of his world that was possible. That was God making the biggest statement he ever could about how he wants us to structure our lives. Let's pray together about his spirit doing that work in our hearts and lives now. Precious King, you are the king of all kings, the center of gravity for the universe. You're rightfully the thing around which all of our hearts, the work of every nation, the hopes and dreams of every mind should be wrapped. You're infinite, invulnerable, all-powerful. You're good in ways we never are and valuable in ways we never can be. And yet you made yourself weak before us. You put yourself at our mercy. You burdened yourself with our humanity, all for the sake of loving people who were turning away from you, who ignored you, who rejected you. You rescued us when we would have preferred to drown out of spite. And you call us to run with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfect model of this faith that you have given us. So we ask you to teach us to live up to that massive, unself-centering of priorities that you demonstrated in the Incarnation and Nativity, especially in the way that we handle our civic responsibilities and our political commitments. No matter who we are or what we think about politics, there are people we are tempted to look down on. When we find ourselves thinking, those people don't deserve my help, Remind our hearts of how little we deserved the help you sent us in the form of Jesus, whose very name means rescue. When we start thinking that we shouldn't need to be patient with people who are obviously so wrong, or that we shouldn't have to be burdened with considering the needs of people who we think are just drags on our economy, or on our country, or on our culture, remind us of the fact that the only one who was right, the only one who was good, wasn't just patient with the miserable, broken little people of this world, but made himself dependent on them when he was conceived as an impoverished baby. 
You remember the people we'd rather forget, and your incarnation gave them so much dignity. We're sorry for forgetting that dignity. Help us to remind one another about it. Write it on our hearts this Advent season. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, that's our episode. Uh, We'll be back towards the end of the month with an episode where we're going to start maybe laying out some ideas for New Year's resolutions. In the meantime, there are a couple more things you might want to follow up on from today's episode. Near the top of the interview, Chelsea brought up something that Steve Park also brought up uh, an episode or two back, talking about finding specific practical ways to lean on God's strength, not your own. And then when we were unpacking the interview, I pretty casually mentioned that chances are most people who share your politics don't actually share your faith. And we're going to give you the chance to get into both of those ideas a little bit more at the end of the week in our newsletter. So we send out a few issues every month. And at the end of this week, we're going to send out one with some things that our team has been reading recently. And that's going to include a book on spiritual disciplines. And it's going to include a new survey uh, that was just released pretty recently on uh, what doctrinal beliefs people actually hold across the United States. So to sign up for that, make sure you get that. Go to christiancivics.org, go to publications and look for newsletter and you can sign up there. While you're on the website, you can also use the contact form to let us know if there are any questions or topics you'd like us to get into in future episodes. Uh, In 2018, we're going to start going from just looking at these broad principles that we've been looking at to hopefully looking at uh, politics and partisanism a little bit more specifically. So if there are any questions you have, anything you want to make sure that is on our radar to explore in future episodes, drop us a line on the contact form. Also remember to rate and review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thank you to Chelsea Geyer for joining us this week. You can learn more about DC 127 at dc127.org. And you can always visit christiancivics.org to learn more about our work empowering the church to be lamps on stands across the political spectrum. 